passage today is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Wesley, for reading. And thank you so much for being here this evening, it's great to be with you. Do keep that Bible passage open as we get into God's Word together this evening. The ICU doctor collapses after another unrelenting shift. Staff absences, demanding patience. She's beginning to wonder whether this is the career for her. Does anyone care? Can anyone help? The final year student struggles with his mental health. Parents' relationship is on the rocks. Finals round the corner. He's beginning to think, can he get through the next six weeks? Does anyone care? Can anyone help? The refugee who submitted the application for asylum eight months ago, still no word from the Home Office. Waiting, waiting, worrying, family back home, longing to stay, helpless, hopeless. Does anyone care? Can anyone help? Your housemate breaks off her engagement. Your friend admits that their brother is self-harming. Your Elderly grandfather begins to experience dementia and forgets who he is. Live life long enough and you realise life gets pretty overwhelming, doesn't it? Issues in your own life, issues in the lives of people around you. Does anyone care? Can anyone help? Well, friends, the message of Matthew 8, 5 to 13 is a resounding yes and yes. Does anyone care? Yes. Can anyone help? Yes. The Lord Jesus Christ cares and he can help and he invites you to a seat at his table. That is the big message of our passage this evening. The Lord Jesus Christ cares, he can help and he invites you wherever you're from, whoever you are, to a seat at his table. What do we mean by all of that? Let's dive into our passage. We're learning about an encounter that Jesus Christ had with a Roman centurion. 
The immediate context of our passage is the Sermon on the Mount, which I guess, even if you've never been to church before in your life, you may have heard of. Perhaps the most famous sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ. He's exploring what it means to live in his kingdom. It's incredible teaching, and it leaves the crowds gasped in amazement. So if you've got your Bibles there, why don't you look back and just have a look at verse 28 and 29 of the previous chapter. So when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. There was something unique about Jesus, and that was his authority. Now, I want you to remember that word, file the word away, because we'll come back to it in a moment. You see, Jesus wasn't all talk. He wasn't simply like uh, the teachers of the law who could spout forth. His words actually did stuff. He wasn't like the newly qualified teacher who goes into a classroom of rowdy kids and says, silence, and no silence. Or, or the parent who says to the child, it's time to go home now from the park. And the uh, child is happily content on the swing and is not moving anywhere. Three-minute warning, and then we're going. Two-minute warning. You can't do anything. If you're a parent, you've always got to give a three-minute warning, in my experience. None of that. Jesus has authority. It's amazing, people. The immediate passage before our passage, verses 1 to 4, Jesus heals a man with leprosy contravening the social distances of the day. Lepers were persona non grata in that day. And saying that we've got leprosy is like calling out in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a packed church. Fire! And uh, no, 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 you would never do that. And you would never go near a leper. Yet Jesus goes near the leper and touches a leper, breaking all conventions, and says, be clean. And guess what? The leper is clean immediately. What authority! And it brings us to verse 5. Let's have a read. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now, Capernaum is the northern bank of the Lake of Galilee, which is in the north of um, uh, Judea. Uh, Capernaum, about 20 miles from Nazareth, which was where Jesus was uh, raised, and since Matthew chapter 3, Capernaum has been Jesus' home. Well, he finally arrives home. He's been away preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and you can imagine uh, the word has got round that he is back. The, the, the boy has come home. He's come back to, to, to Capernaum, but who gets to see him but a centurion? Now, in first century Israel, just to fill you in on centurions, they held all the cards, and they held none of the cards. Uh, they held all the cards because uh, they were men under, excuse me, with immense authority. They had immense authority, uh, the centurions did. Now, I wonder, um, uh, has any, can we play a little game? Is that a, can we play a little game on Sunday evening? I think if you've ever played the game Centurion Says, it's a little bit like Simon Says, only it's Centurion Says. So I'd like you all to stand up, please. Just everyone stand up, like stretch your legs. Quick game of Centurion Says. Okay, so when Centurion says it, you do it. Okay, so if I say Centurion Says turn left, we all turn left. Centurion Says turn right, we all turn right. Centurion Says clap your hands, we clap our hands. Centurion Says stop clapping your hands. Centurion Says face forwards. Centurion says, wave your hands. Stop waving your hands. Uh, no mistake. Centurion didn't say stop waving your hands. Centurion says stop waving your hands. Now you can sit down. Uh. 
Centurion says it down. Come on. You're a gullible lot, you. Gullible. What's going on? What's going on? Now, I want to imagine. So, we have a, in, in the passage, uh, the centurion does what he wants to do. He says, come, people come. He says, go, people go. He says to my paralyzed servant, say, Glenn, the front row is the paralyzed servant. If the centurion said, get up, he can't get up. Get up. Can't get up. The centurion says, get up. He can't get up. He held all the cards, but he held none of the cards. The centurion was a military officer. He had about 100 soldiers under him, and rank and title meant everything in those days. Important markers of your status. And the centurions were near the top of the pecking order. So held all the cards on top of that, they were the on-the-ground leaders of Rome's occupation in Judea. Had been for 25 years. And when a centurion walked in the back of the room, you sat up straight. You did what you were told. What a centurion said, Rome said. They held all the cards. But they held none of the cards. Because for one thing, centurions were Gentiles. Not the historic people of God, the Jews, but the Gentiles. The other nations of the world. Outsiders as far as God was concerned. No spiritual ancestry that tracked them into the story of the Messiah. What on earth could he expect Jesus to do for him? But more than that, the centurion had a servant who was paralyzed and who suffered terribly. For all the centurion's success and power and greatness, he had absolutely no authority, no ability to make a difference at his greatest point of need, his paralyzed servant. Well, I guess the same is true for us here together this evening. Uh, some of us look like we hold all the cards to life. Uh, you may be here and you're flying in your degree, uh, or work is going really well, you've got a relationship, thank you very much, health is fine. You're holding all the cards, it would seem. Whereas others here this evening don't seem to be holding all the cards. The degree isn't going well, the work isn't going well, the relationship, oh, no thanks, the health, not so sure. But the fact is, none of us, whether you've got the cards here in your hand or not, none of us, have the authority or the ability to make a difference to our greatest point of need, to get to know God, to initiate relationship with God. That's our greatest point of need. Does anyone care? Can anyone help? Well, friends, Matthew 8 assures us yes and yes. We're going to see three very brief lessons from Matthew 8, and if we learn them tonight, I think they would not only transform today or this week, they would transform your life. That's a big claim. Let's see how uh, Matthew helps us understand this. And we're going to see three things. First lesson, encounter the Savior who cares. Here's a picture of grace we see here. Encounter the Savior who cares. Now, how might the centurion have felt coming to Jesus? Remember, he's a Gentile. An occupying soldier, he's a man with great authority, but he's got an even greater problem on his hands. What possible claim could he have on Jesus Christ? Maybe you could imagine him kind of approaching Jesus a little bit sheepish. Is Jesus going to cast me away? Oh, I could take a punt, you never know. He may, be, he may be kind of amenable to helping me. Look, what does he say, verse 6? Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. 
Numerous people have been coming to Jesus. He's finally come home after this busy stint teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And you can imagine he wants to put his feet up. He's exhausted. It's been so easy for Jesus to have set up an elaborate triaging system with his disciples. You know, is your name on the list? Tick. Are you Jewish? Tick. Are you not an occupying military force? Tick. Uh, except, of course, the centurion couldn't really tick any of those things. Not so much. And yet, instead of going through the centurion's credentials, which he has none, the Lord gives the most beautiful offer you can imagine. Have a look down. Verse 7. Little number 7 in our passages. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Shall I, the source of life and light and hope, come and draw near to the vulnerable and to the broken and the suffering? Shall I come? Lord, you're our only hope. Where else are we going to go? We feared you never asked. We thought you were going to put us in a triaging system. We had to make a big claim and have some leverage with you. But we were wrong. Of course we were wrong. If that's the way we think about God, I've got to give him something for him to want to be interested in me. No. No, 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 friends. You don't need to give him anything. He's rich in mercy and compassion and tenderness and love. His, uh, the author Dane Auckland in his majestic book, Gentle and Lowly, go to Jesus. All that means is open yourself up to him. Let him love you. Which may sound incredibly strange if you're here this evening not from a faith background. And what does that mean? Well, friends, the offer here is to an encounter with the Savior who cares. Well, the centurion can't quite believe his ears. Uh, have a look down again. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I, I don't deserve to have you under my roof. You're the Holy One of Israel. I'm an occupying soldier with nothing to offer. You don't want to know what's happened under my roof. What's been said in the daytime? What's been done in the nighttime? And then you get this most precious declaration of faith that you could make. Have a look down. Second half of verse 8. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. One word from you, Lord Jesus, one word from you will turn a life around. And it's true. It's absolutely true. For not only do we encounter the Savior who cares in Matthew 8, we also encounter the King who can help. That's our second point. Encounter the King who can help, a picture of authority. Some people have compassion, but absolutely no capacity to do anything with the compassion. They have got lots of concern, yes, but not so much bandwidth, and actually can't help you. Not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Have a look at the second half of verse 8. Just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And I think the implication of what the centurion is saying is quite clear. Just as the centurion is speaking on behalf of Rome, what the centurion says, Rome says, if you turn right, centurion says right, you turn right, you turn, centurion says turn left, you turn left, well, so too the centurion is saying, well, Jesus, what Jesus says, Almighty God says, you're speaking with true authority. Which means 
He says, look, just say the word and my servant will be healed. You, Jesus, you're the other side of town from where my servant is lying. He's at home in bed a couple of miles away. But us right now, you can say the word and socially distanced as you are, you can heal him and you can make all the difference with one little word which will turn a life around. You can do it, Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. Down at verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So where the centurion can say, Paralyzed servant, on the front row, Paralyzed servant, get up, says the centurion. Centurion says, get up, paralyzed servant. Doesn't work. Then Jesus says, paralyzed servant, get up. And when Jesus says it, It happens. Encounter the Saviour who cares. That's good news. Encounter the King who can help. Friends, sometimes we think, if only we were there then. Do you ever find yourself asking that and thinking, if only I was there then, I could see Jesus with my own eyes, touch him with my own hands, witness it firsthand, be close up to him. That's where all the action was. We see it's a bit unfair that we're not there anymore. That's where the real blessing occurs. Rather than now, like he's in heaven, and what can he do from there? Friends, Matthew 8, verse 8 tells us that the lack of presence physically of Jesus around us equates to no lack of ability for him to change our lives. He doesn't need to be physically with us right now, like he didn't need to be physically with someone right then to change someone's life. Of course, he's with us by his spirit, but he's in heaven. He has then, he has now, the authority and the ability to turn your life around. And he has the compassion and he has the tenderness to want to do it. He's the saviour who cares. He's the king who can help. Just say the word, Lord, and your servant will be healed. Does anyone care? Can anyone help? The teacher on her knees, the ICU doctor, broken. The asylum seeker waiting and waiting and waking. The the student with a mental health crisis and family falling apart. The one struggling, the one hurting, the one limping, the fearful, the afraid, the broken hearted. I have have nothing to give you, Jesus. I can't give you anything. You have everything that I I could ever need. Just say the word. You'll turn my life around. Say the word, Jesus. And he will. We're big Narnia fans in our house. And there's a lovely scene in The Horse and His Boy uh, where the lead character, Shasta, has to go on a long and winding journey. In fact, the whole book is one long journey that Shasta is going on. And during the journey, nothing much seems to go right. He's uh, fleeing an enemy. He doesn't know where he's going. Various people threaten him on the route. And all hope is fading. And then Shasta notices a quiet presence that he can't quite See, it's someone or something breathing with hot breath, he says, alongside him. Shasta's no idea who it is. Immediately he fears the worst. It's pitch black, he can't see, so Shasta keeps on walking. He starts imagining things. And eventually Shasta breaks and speaks into the darkness. Who are you? He whispers, not really knowing what to expect. The reply. But the reply comes back, one who has waited long for you to speak. And the voice belonged to Aslan, who, if you have ever read the 
The Narnia Chronicles refers to the Christ figure in the books, and uh, Aslan has been accompanying Shasta all along the journey, all through the difficulties, ups and downs and roundabouts. Shasta, you see, thought he was alone. He'd been anxious that he was alone, but help had been freely available just there, all along by his side, if only he'd stopped and asked. Friends, I don't know what you're facing today. Are you trying to escape it to come to church with a friend? The last thing you want is me rubbing your nose back into what you're having to deal with. Friends, the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has died on the cross for our sins and has risen again from the grave to give us life, he promises to draw near to us with his word. And his word will change and turn your life around. But you need to have the humility of the centurion to stop and ask. I've got nothing. You, Lord, have everything. Just say the word and lives will change. So you prepared to say it. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. Encounter the Savior who cares. Encounter the King who can help because he wants to change life now and for eternity. And that brings us to our last section. So look down in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown aside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Encounter the Savior who cares. Encounter the King who can help. Encounter, point three, a seat at the table. Encounter a seat at the table. This is a picture of welcome. If you were to draw up a team sheet for heaven, there is no way the centurion makes the cut. Doesn't make the first 11, the first 15. He's a Gentile, fail. He's an occupying soldier, fail. He's someone who has done stuff under his roof that would make a Sailor blush, fail, fail, fail. And yet, his declaration of trust that he says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. He says that in verse 8. Look down at how Jesus responds. This blows my mind when I read verse 10. Verse 10 is Jesus' response to his the centurion's faith. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. We often talk about things being amazing. That food was amazing. That night out was amazing. That, that, that city was amazing. The people were saying that Jesus' teaching was amazing in the previous chapter. We saw in chapter 7, verse 29. What does Jesus think is amazing? Ever wondered that? What amazes Jesus? I'd love to know what amazes Jesus. Well, we don't have to wonder. We can look at our passage. Hearing a declaration of faith from this outsider, the centurion, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said, I've never seen such great faith. And then he goes on to describe a great future banquet, a seat at his table on offer, that one day this banquet, this party will be thrown and invited for the whole world to attend. And all nations will be welcome to feast with the greats of the Judeo-Christian faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. The in crowd, though, the people who assumed they were always going to get a seat at the table, maybe the religious do-gooders who always could pat themselves on the back for how wonderful they were. They knew all the words of the songs off by heart, the Bible readings. They knew the prayer. They, they know their way around church things. Be warned, says Jesus, those lot 
they're not trusting fully in Jesus, well, they're the ones who miss out. Whereas the outcasts, those who know they never got on heaven's team sheet, don't deserve a seat at the table at all, they're the ones who get in. The upside-down kingdom of Jesus Christ. As we begin to close, it maybe you're here this evening, you're surrounded by lots of other people who look like they're Christians and they know their way around. They know when to stand up and to sing and to sit down and to pray and you feel at sea. Maybe you were invited here by a friend. Maybe you've been coming here a while and, and everyone else thinks you're a Christian, an insider, but you know, I'm not so sure. I don't really belong. Do I belong on his team? Am I at home here? I won't be surprised if many of us felt a bit out of place. Not quite at home. And if you're not extremely careful, you think to yourself, someone's going to find out what's gone on, gone on in my life, in my past, and I'm going to be marched out of the door. Comedian Stephen Fry, in his autobiography, The Fry Chronicles, talks about his early days as an undergrad at Cambridge University. Let me uh, give you a quote of his. It is very important, he wrote, that you understand, nevertheless, how very scared I was inside. I lived in quivering dread of being at any moment found out. The terror that gripped me during those first few weeks at Cambridge was all about my intellectual right to be there. My dread was that someone would approach and ask me in the front of a crowd of sneering onlookers my opinion of Lermontov or superstring theory or the categorical imperatives of Kant. I would prevaricate and palter in my usual plausible way, but this being Cambridge, such stratagems would cut no ice with my remorseless and, in my imagination, gleefully malicious interrogator who would stare at me with gimlet eyes and say in a harsh voice that crackled with mocking laughter, excuse me, but do you even know who Lermontov is? Or Rilke or Hayek or Saussure or some other name, the awful, my ignorance of which would reveal the awful shallowness of my so-called education. At any moment, it would come to light that my scholarship had been wrongly awarded and that it had been a muddle with examination papers and some poor genius called Simon Fry or Stephen Pry had been cheated out of a proper place. A relentless public inquisition would follow in which I'd be exposed as a dull-witted fake who had no business at a serious university. I could even picture the ceremony in which I was formally ejected from the college gates, slinking away to the sound of jeers and whistles. An institution like Cambridge was for other people. Insiders, club members, the chosen, for them. Friends, I think that uh, for many of us, we can be tempted to think that that's how God treats people. There's an inside gang, and if we're not in that gang, if we don't tick the boxes, we just don't have a place. Just playing on borrowed time until someone walks you out and slinks you out through the church gates. How wrong you are. How wrong you are, friends, because I want to encourage you to look to Jesus Christ this evening. For his is an amazing welcome. Does anyone care about you? Can anyone help you? Well, friends, learn from the faith of this centurion. Encounter the Saviour who cares. He's interested in each one of our lives. Encounter the King who can help. My point of need is exactly his speciality. He loves to help. I will help you with the biggest thing that you could possibly deal with, which is getting to know God as friend and Saviour.
And if you do, you can be sure that you will encounter a seat at the table, a welcome into the family that starts now and goes on into eternity. Well, there's lots to think about, so I'm going to have a moment of quietness where I'd invite you to just reflect on what God has been saying to us, and then I'm going to say a short prayer. And you might want to have our passages open and reflect over what we've been seeing. Maybe if this is the first time, you might want to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you are a saviour who cares. Thank you that you are a king who can help me. Help me to call to you in faith. Just have a moment of quietness and then I'll pray. praise you, Lord Jesus, for your welcome. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your love. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your power. We praise you that you are a saviour who cares. No concern of ours is too small, too irrelevant, too distant from you to move your heart in love. Thank you. We thank you that you are a king who can help. Exactly our need is exactly where you love to help. You have no lack of ability. Even being in heaven, you can still help us. Just one word will turn our lives around. Thank you for your offer of a seat at the table, an invitation to know you. We pray, please, this evening or this week, would we hear your call and say, I'm in. Please show us what that would look like for us. And please do this for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.